You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Excellent, excellent. Kia ora whanau, namai haremai. How are you all today? Awesome, awesome. It was really funny in the first service. I completely missed my cue. I'm sitting in the front row and go, oh, am I supposed to be on? And, and Suzanne pointed out Abraham there. He's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, you're supposed to be on. Even the slides knew I was supposed to be on. Hey, it's absolutely amazing to be up here in the winterless north. And uh, we just stacked all our firewood in our driveway. I've got it to put in the woodshed when I, got home, when I get home. But uh, it's just awesome to be part of our, Elam, our wider Elam whanau. If you didn't realize that uh, you are one of 37 Elam churches in New Zealand, one of four and a half thousand Elam churches in the world. And on any given Sunday, over 340, 350,000 people come to an Elam church to worship God. How cool is that? That's a big whanau, eh? That's so exciting. I love being part of Elam. And uh, yeah, it's awesome to be here. Um, and I also get the incredible honor of one of my claims to fame is Jaden. It's, uh, yeah, I think every slide, we, we all like to have a claim to fame, don't you? Uh, Jaden's ours. <laughs> You've adopted him. Okay, you guys. And you know what? Thank you for loving on him. He, he and Nas love being up here. But actually talking about loving on people, can I also say thank you to you, uh, Elam Christian Center Whangarei. Thank you for loving on pastors Amy and Mike and re- for releasing them to head off on a sabbatical to be refreshed and replenished. Mike's, like uh, Sarah said, Mike's tearing it up down at home this morning and having a great time. He came down and spoke at our big Super Kids holiday program on Friday. We had an average of 278 kids a day. It was organized chaos and so much fun, and we are exhausted. Uh, But yeah, but what I was saying is, you you guys as a church, you've loved on your pastor's enough to release them to go and, and recharge their batteries and to catch something fresh from the Lord and to, or even solidify what God has put in their hearts. And by doing that, you will be blessed because they'll come home refreshed, they'll come home fired up and, and, and it'll flow on. So um, thank you so much for loving on your pastors like that. That is so important and it's amazing. Well done, team. But I want to give you a bit of a challenge. This is a challenge. Would you guys just, I mean, this is, this is not just their church, this is your church. And so over these next weeks, I don't even know how long they're away for, but over these next weeks, this, this is a challenge. Make this place just pump so much that when they get home, they've got to sprint to catch up. Yeah. Hey, can you do that? Can you do that? Because they'll, I mean, that'll really excite them, I know that for sure. So, uh, but hey, I've got this incredible privilege of being part of uh, the, the Elam Christian Center wider campus uh, series doing, called Chasing Shadows, and find it, we're, what we're doing is we're looking for the shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. And there's a really, really famous prophet, probably one of the best-known prophets in the Old Testament, his name's Isaiah, and he served kings, he served the Lord and kings some 800 years before Jesus himself uh, walked on earth. And there was a particular time, a particular season where he's serving as the prophet to the king, and there's about to be this massive political, territorial, and power shift within the land. And as the kings would, they would go to the prophet and say, what does the Lord have to say about this? And so Isaiah did what he was supposed to do. He talked to the Lord. The Lord talked to him. He went to King Ahaz. And this is what he said to him in Isaiah 7, 14. 
all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He was trying to tell King Ahaz from the Lord that God was in control. Chill, it's all going to be good. Here's the crazy thing though. The king rejected the word of God and a whole bunch of his people. And instead of looking to God, he looked to the king of, I think it was Assyria and other nations to bring power in, to help him gain control. And he ended up putting himself into complete subjection and captivity to this foreign king. He ignored God and became a slave. But there was a group of people still within the land of Israel who who honored and loved and worshiped the Lord as they had been called to do. And God gave them a word through Isaiah as well. In chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, it says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, wonderful, you should all know this one, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's Heavens, uh, Lords of the Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, really interesting, Isaiah literally prophesied, he literally declared that God himself was going to come. And, and he said, this is how it's going to happen. This is the sort of authority he's going to have. Da, da, da. And he laid it out. It was really super clear. But right throughout the Old Testament, it's not super clear like it was for Isaiah. Right throughout, from Genesis right through to Malachi, There is this thread that goes through the whole of the Old Testament, and the whole of the Old Testament literally is a roadmap and a signpost to Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dig into the Word this morning because we need to to understand our part in this. Because, you see, we, we, we don't just have the Old Testament or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible like they did. We, we've got the whole thing. We know the whole story. We know... Well, we read, let me just let me put it this way, we have read the beginning and the end. So we kind of have this understanding of what it is. But what is our part in this because we actually already know the story? Well, this is our part. Our part is to not just merely read the Word of God, but to look into the Word of God. Look into the depths of the Word. You see, it's not just about us getting into the Word, it's about the Word getting into us. We need to not just look in it, but we need to look into it and be held captive by it. And so, like, is there anyone out there like, that's like me? Have you ever read a verse and you know you've read it, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 100 times, you read it, and all of a sudden you go, I never saw that before. Anyone like me? You, you guys, it's like, how did I miss that? I've just, what, is this a different translation? How did I miss that? It's the same words, as, actually, it's, they've been around for a wee while. And so we've got, to, we've got to not just get into the Word, but we've got to let the Word get into us. Exactly like Sarah said, that He's the living Word. It's not, just, it's not just a dusty library book. It is a living, breathing manual for life. I mean, the Word, became, the word was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And, and, and I love how it says in the message translation, it says, and the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I think that's really cool. So this morning, we're, we're not just going to look at what Isaiah said in his literal prophecies about Jesus, but we're actually going to look for Jesus in one of the most famous Old Testament stories, and that is in the story of Joseph. So if you're taking my notes, my message is called From Joseph to Jesus. So come on, let's just pray. Come on, we just lean in, make this a holy moment. 
mighty God, you are an amazing God. The fact that your word has been around for this long and it's still living, it's still active, it's still current, it's still relevant. Lord, we don't just want the word to be resident in our hearts and in our minds. We want it to be resonant. We want it to vibrate within us, to come alive within us. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you take the living word of God? Would you plant it deep in our hearts and bring it alive, blow on it, bring it alive, set it on fire, Water it with your anointing and let it grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So, my mission this morning is to completely change how you see the story of Joseph. Because once I've unpacked this, I'm really hoping you're going to never be able to read the story again the same way. Because the story of Joseph is literally the story of Jesus. You go, huh? He didn't get crucified, ah, but I will show you some really exciting things. Now, here's one of the most amazing things. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, okay? And he talked to God face to face. And so he kind of knew God, knew his heart. And so much so that when he would come out of the the tent of meeting and he'd walk up to everybody and there was no need for a torch because his face shone with the presence of God. I've got a bit of a naughty brain. And I just said, what would it look like if you're a school teacher... If, what would it look like tomorrow morning or Monday, school holidays, but on a couple of Mondays' time when you rock up to the staff room or to the classroom and everybody's like, and you go, what's wrong? And they go, why is your face shining like that? Oh, it's all good. I've just been hanging out with Papa God. You should come one time. Easy invitation, eh? I mean, that, would you think that would pique anyone's interest? I mean, I think every woman would go, how do you get yourself to glow like that? Okay, okay, I just lost all the men right there. We'll fix that next Saturday morning, men, at the men's breakfast. I'm going to tell you some great war stories, so here we go. But anyway, as Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, he was writing about real and actual events, but he also knew the heart of God, and I reckon as he was writing it, he was getting more and more and more and more excited because he could see the plan of God right throughout everything that was happening. And let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abraham... Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Wait a minute. That was God to Abraham, who became Abraham. That's the same script for Joseph. Leave the land. I'll bless you, and you'll bless everybody else. Huh. Jesus, leave the, well, okay, leave your throne, go to earth, and the whole earth will be blessed through. It's a bit different, isn't it? So that whole narrative spoken to Abraham is an exact replica of Joseph and Jesus. So for those of you who are theologians and scholars, you might want to just get your phone out or your tablet and take some photos of the next few screens because I'm going to show you the comparison from Joseph to Jesus. We won't unpack it a lot, but we're just going to zoom through it. Okay, here we go. Joseph to Jesus. Joseph was 30 years old. Jesus was about 30 years old when it all started to happen. Joseph was dearly, dearly loved by his father, was given a coat. Guess what? God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son. Joseph's brothers did not, uh, did not believe him. They hated him. The Jews did not believe in Christ. Oh, guess what? And they hated him. 
Joseph's brothers rejected Joseph's right to rule. Remember, he had the dreams. He said, you'll all bow down to me. Guess what? The Jewish leaders said to Jesus, we will not have you rule over us. They stripped Joseph of his garments, of his coat. Guess what? They stripped Jesus twice. First time when he got whipped, second time when he hung on the cross. Get this, Joseph was sold for silver. So was Jesus. All things, all things were given to Joseph in a trust. I mean, he ran the whole of Potiphar's house. In actual fact, the scriptures say this. Are there any, any bosses, any employers in the, in, the, in the congregation this morning? You own a company or you're the CEO or something like that? The, of Potiphar, it says the only thing he had to worry about was what he had for lunch. Because he left everything else to Joseph. How would you like to have an employee like that? But guess what? The father said of God, I've given all things into, into Jesus' hands. Joseph was tempted. He didn't sin. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. Joseph was imprisoned uh, based on false charges. Jesus had false witnesses lay false charges. Joseph, get this one, Joseph was condemned to die with two criminals. Jesus was hung on the cross with two criminals. The two criminals in Joseph's cell, one was restored, one, the two criminals with Jesus, one was crazy, eh? One criminal was given life, the other condemned. Joseph was trustworthy and wise. God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Joseph's own brothers did not recognize him. The Jews did not recognize the Messiah. Joseph's brothers bowed their knee before him. The scriptures say every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. God's plan, God planned the suffering of Joseph for the saving of many. The suffering of Jesus Joseph was made ruler, ruler, second only to Pharaoh over all of Egypt and the surrounding. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. I hope you never read the story of Joseph the same way again. It's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But what does this mean for us? Well, like I was saying, that that question, there's got to be something that we can apply to our lives in this. It's not just a good story. It's not just a, it's not just a, a theory book. The Bible's, it's a manual. It's a manual for life. So let's have a look at some of the application out of this story. I'm just going to give you five quick ones. There's lots more, but we'll go for five. Here's the first one. Both Joseph and Jesus are the object of their father's special love. Isaac loved Joseph so much, he gave him a garment that no one else in the family had. God loves his, my beloved son. And at the statement, get this, at the statement of this is my beloved son, at that same time, he was cloaked in the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on. Why do I point that out? Because guess what? That same love is yours. That same love from God is yours. First, uh, First John chapter three verse one. Look with wonder at the depth of our Father's marvelous love that He has lavished on us. He has called us and made us His very own beloved children. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, one of my all-time favorite verses. Literally, if you unpack it, we won't go there this morning, but it literally says this, that each and every one of you are a one-of-a-kind, handcrafted, never-to-be-repeated masterpiece. You've been made on purpose for a purpose. It goes on to say that he went and prepared that purpose beforehand so that you should walk in it. Oh, man. Come on. And this is, I just, as I was preparing this this morning, I really felt that there were going to be folks in the meetings this morning that this right here was a bit of a roadblock because you, you, you may be in a place, I don't know who you are, I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts this morning, but you, well, you have no idea what I've done. How could God love me like that? Guess what? I'm going to come to that because actually he loved you in spite of that. And he still does. He still does. And if we can find the healing and the restoration from God in that, oh man, it's an unpainted canvas waiting for you to turn it into a masterpiece. So Joseph, Jesus, and you are the object of your father's special love. Number two, both Joseph and Jesus were stripped of their robes, of their identity. Genesis 37, Joseph had that multicolored coat and his brothers could see him coming afar off, not because they recognized Jesus, but because they saw the coat. And they stripped it off him and they tore it and they covered it in goat's blood and took it back to their father. Guess what? Jesus' garments were torn off him. He was beaten. They put him back on him. They were covered in blood. And then he was hung naked on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for our sickness and our disease and our sin. The pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross with a loincloth on, that's just a PC Jesus. That's to hopefully not offend anybody. And I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was butt naked. In actual fact, Isaiah again says that he had been beaten so badly, he was virtually unrecognizable. And so apart from our sickness and our infirmity and our diseases and our sins, in that completely stripped state, he also took our humiliation. His love is so, so deep and profound for us that he would take our humiliation as well and our shame. What's the application for us? Sometimes, you know, um, I, I didn't even think about it, you know, with it being Anzac Day. Um, I, I served for 20 years in the military and the Air Force. And so I've got, a, I've got a few medals and I didn't even think to bring them and wear them or anything like that. But um, when I was a kid, when someone did something, you know, I was like, ah, oh, they were boasting. You know how we, yeah, we sort of strut around the playground like a rooster or something. And my mates, you go, oh, you want a medal or a chest to pin it on, you know? And of course, being a young fellow, you know, I was like, I'll have the chest. <laughs> it's still a dream, but anyway. Um, but, you know, there are, there are things that we wear. We, we wear them. That, that's our identity. It's like we have Joseph's coat, and actually we are recognized for that. But actually, what God wants us to be recognized for is him in us. Joseph had his worldly identif- identification stripped off. Jesus was virtually unrecognizable. Why? Because the love of God, which is set aboard for many, that's what God wants to be seen. And sometimes we just need to think, okay, God, like David, he says, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's a really, really bold prayer, man. That's a bold prayer. But if you're, if you're courageous enough, I encourage you to pray it. So lavished love 
God wants to give us a cloak of righteousness, not a many colors or raggy clothes, but a cloak of righteousness. So we've got to let him strip off our earthly identification. Here's the third thing. Both Joseph and Jesus were faithful in the midst of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And then the next word is when, not if. (laughs) When, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Come on, you know what? We don't actually have to go hunting for temptation. I saw a bumper sticker years ago that just made me laugh. I was like, the bumper sticker said this, give in to temptation, it may never come your way again. And I was like, that's a lie right there. (laughs) Temptation's gonna come whether you want it or not. It's a when, not an if. And you think, well, how can God, I mean, he's God. I wish I could say it like Mufasa, you know, Mufasa, God, I I can't. But anyway, how can a God like that ever understand what temptation is like? Get this, it says, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this in chapter four, verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. He gets it. He gets it. This <laughs> He does. He gets it. And you know, generally he's the last one we talk to in the midst of that. We try and do it all in our own strength. And then uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about this next week uh, when, I, when I, pr- I get this incredible privilege of speaking to you guys next Sunday too, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but actually, you know what? He should be the first one we go to, eh? The first one we go to. A magnificent example of Joseph and Jesus. They, they, they were both monumentally tempted. And yet they didn't sin. I mean, even to the point, you read the story of Joseph. I mean, Jesus hung on the cross butt naked. Joseph ran out of the house butt naked because Potiphar's wife still had his clothes in her hand. I didn't actually think of that comparison before. They both ended up naked. Wow. Not me, God. But anyway, (laughs) here's the fourth one. He saved, they saved their rebellious brothers from death when they realized who he is. But actually, I was thinking about this. Jesus, even Joseph, they saved the rebellious brothers before they believed. Before they believed. And Rachel just beautifully said it from the piano this morning. You know, even yet, one translation says, while we were yet sinners, the Passion Translation says, even while we were lost and ungodly, he loved us and died for us. He made a way for us. Hebrews 6, 19, we have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16 says this, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. How do they know you belong to Christ? Because you've had your earthly coat taken off. 
and he's cloaked you with a cloak of righteousness. Because you can walk, get this, you can walk in such gracious, beautiful security. Why? Because you know and you, well, you can know and you can walk in the unashamed, lavished love of God your Father. And people may not be able to go, that's what's on their life, but this is what they're going to go, what's different about you? What's different about you? And I'll give you an example of this. When I was serving in the Air Force, every day as I was walking to my squadron where I worked, coming the other way from another set of barrack blocks was a guy that I joined up with. We were on the same recruit course, and every morning, I just, I don't know why, it was like, it was like God just, God put a bit of turkey in me. And uh, every morning I'd see him, because this guy, honestly, I reckon he had half a dozen lemons for breakfast every single day. And he just looked sour, and I just really felt, I, you know, I reckon the Holy Spirit could be cheeky. And every morning as I'm walking past, I get this prompt, and I was like, his name was Colin. I go, g'day, Colin, how are you today? Morning, Colin, great day. And, I, and day after day after day after, one day he literally stopped me in the middle of the road. Why do you keep saying good morning to me? Why are you always so happy? I'm so glad you asked. Invited him to church, he never came. But anyway, (laughs) if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it in a gracious way, in a way that they can understand. I'll come back to that one in a minute. The Apostle Paul, Joseph became an instrument of God for the salvation, the literal physical salvation of many. Jesus, an instrument of God for the supernatural salvation of many. This is quite often in the Old Testament to the New Testament. You read in the Old Testament, the real, the actual, the geographical. In the New Testament, there's this like a spiritual mirror, a spiritual overlay where you get the supernatural. Jesus, uh, Joseph, saved in the natural millions of people. Supernatural New Testament, Jesus saved millions and is still saving millions. Still saving millions. Again, the question, where do we fit with this? What's our responsibility? Um, Rachel, would you, or worship team, would you come? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23 out of the message translation. This is the Apostle Paul. What is our responsibility in this? Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, he says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and to all. Why? In order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. It should probably be whomever. But anyway, I don't take on their way of life. I I kept my bearings on Christ. Really important to note that. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I became, or I've become, just about every sort of servant there is. In my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. This house is a house with a mission not a house that's a museum a museum has old crusty dusty interesting but crusty and dusty artifacts and people come and visit it occasionally a house that's on a mission it's alive it's pumping it's got purpose it is going to reach it is going to serve or oh, just about every service it is going to influence 
that's your mission. That is your mission. What is it going to look like? Let me come back again to the Gospels out of the message translation. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. I love that phrase. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to put you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you, uh, now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine! Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I want you. I want to ask you this: Are you going to be a lighthouse or a house of light? You know what a lighthouse does? It says, don't come near me because I got rocks and you'll crash and burn. But a house of light says to a traveler who's lost in the darkness, there is love, there is welcome, there is warmth, there is nourishment, there is whanau. So are you going to be a lighthouse or a house of light? Are you going to be a city on the top of a hill, a light on a lampstand with the message of life, hope, and purpose to reach servant influence? Or are you going to say, no, 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 sorry, we're too pure, we're full of light, but if you come near us, you'll crash on the rocks. I know it's a play on words. Joseph, to Jesus, to you and me, we are all on the same journey. What is that journey? For humanity to be reconciled back to God himself. Just as we close, I really sense that there were a number of people who are going to be here this morning. Firstly, the ones who are struggling with their identity. I'm going to be talking into that a little bit more next week, but I just want to jump on this. Holy Spirit prompted my spirit this morning. There is an amazing ministry team here. And in Elam, we have a ministry team because the Bible says if two agree, if two agree concerning anything on earth, our Father in heaven will work on that. He'll move on that, depending on which translation you read. But when we agree together in prayer and agree with the word of God, then the power of heaven can move. So you can either agree with your problem and keep it, or you can agree with God and get rid of it. So there was that whole issue with, with the identity. You just got to bust out. The second one was this, that there are those who are going to be here this morning that this all sounds really good to you, but right now your world is encased. It's, it's, it's surrounded in turmoil. I want to really encourage you this morning, right at the beginning of time, right at the very beginning of the Bible, it says that the, the basically that everything creation was, it was like void. It wasn't, there was no shape. It was literally chaos, but the Holy Spirit hovered, hovered over it and held it until God said, let there be. And he brought shape and dimension and healing and wholeness out of the midst of chaos because he spoke into it. And I really believe this morning that there's people who are going, God, would you save me from? Would you take this away? No, no, he wants to bring shape and healing and restoration in the midst of. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to surround your chaos and let the word of God speak into your chaos so something can be made out of that? And so the ministry team would love to pray with you on that. And the third thing was this. I really believe God wanted people to move on, to step out courageously and to move out. But you can't because you've got a, a, a chain around your ankle. And it was this, that the, the words that the Holy Spirit gave me with this, I just want to read them to make sure I get right, that there is a layover or a carrying of past hurts that are preventing you from moving forward. It's like, 
you just can't move. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to hover over your chaos, if you allow the Word of God to speak, let there be into your chaos. If you will let Him take the rags or the, your earthly identity off and clothe you with a cloak of righteousness and give you His identity this morning, then, oh my, the rest of your life is an unpainted canvas waiting to be turned into a masterpiece. Would you stand this morning? Father, I thank you for this fondo. I thank you for this amazing family. And now, almighty God, I pray, right in this moment, in this presence, this holy moment, would you come? Folks, if, if you're comfortable, I, I would ask that you would just lift your hands in front of you as if you're bringing an offering before the Lord. And in your hands, place everything that will get in the way. It could be, it could be a dream that could get in the way. It could be finance, employment, relationship, sickness, uh, an injury. Whatever it is, it's getting between you and God. Would you put it in your hands and offer it to him right now as we lift in prayer? Father, receive these things. Lord, we don't want anything to get in the way. Lord, you've showed us the way through your word from Genesis to Revelation. And so, Holy Spirit, we bring these before you as an offering. We, 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 Lord, we kind of feel a bit guilty that we're offering you our fears or we're offering you our insecurities or we're offering you our sickness or our pain or our injury. But God, we want to offer it to you because you're the only one. You're the only one that can bring beauty out of chaos. The oil of joy for mourning. A garment of praise, Lord, for my, for my garment of heaviness. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you come in a magnificent and amazing way on these people. Bless them, draw them, heal them and restore them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz